As uh, we give, uh, just a, a thanks again. Everything that happens because, happens because of you, your giving. If you're visiting with us, if you're thinking, hey, I'll bet this church is like other churches that have uh, big endowments that they draw upon, big bank accounts. We don't. Every dollar that comes in goes right out into ministry. So you need to know that when you give, whether it's in the offering basket, whether it's online, however it is you give, you need to know that that money is going into ministry. So thank you for giving and being a part of the church. Uh, you heard the block party mentioned. Uh, you know, coming up, school supplies. I would just encourage you to, uh, as a group for us to all get behind that early. Uh, every year in Burlington, we have the block party. We hand out you know, backpacks and school supplies. Every single year, we go through everything we have to give. Uh, I know sometimes people think, well, you know, who needs pencils? Who needs pens? Uh, all sorts of people need the pencils and the pens, and we go through everything that we collect. So even now, get that thought process. <clears throat> we, wanna, we want to be able to reach into that community, make a difference, <clears throat> and your giving does make a difference. This morning, I want to get right into our, our series on seven steps. <clears throat> this morning, we continue along the way, and we're talking, we're taking time to talk through what is the strategy of Essex Lions Church. Um, you know, it's, it, the strategy is not a, it's not a building strategy. It is not a 10-year master plan. But what we're talking about is the plan for how, how we who call Essex Alliance their church home, how it is that we are to think how it is that we are to live, how are we to live on mission, and how do we do this corporately together? Uh, it's a plan <clears throat> that helps, helps answer the question, well, how do we get here? Uh, where are we going? How do we exist in the future? All of those kind of things. I want to tell you right up front, though, I'm giving you a very specific plan, and it's going to get more clear today as we'll actually list the different steps. But I want to be really clear and that I give you this plan. It's not a perfect plan. It's our plan. It's our plan for the moment, but it's not a perfect plan. It's, it's full of flaws and issues. I got it. And it's a plan that can change along the way. It's a plan that should change along the way and be adapted along the way as culture changes, as things change within the church. But it is our plan. And I need you to know right up front, very transparently, I haven't done this in a long time, taken and shared the whole, this whole strategic plan of the church. You've heard it, many of you, if you've been in a membership class, you would have heard it a little, in a little abbreviated fashion a little bit differently, but I put this to the entire church because quite honestly, it's all us. It's us together that sees the church in function, sees the church operate in its most effective way, and sees the church moving forward. It's us all together, and I want to be very transparent. My goal in sharing all of this is to ask you to be in and to be engaged. I'm asking every person that would say, this is my church home, then to buy into the church home. To say, yeah, this is how I'm going to live. This is how I'm going to participate. These are the things that I say, that I agree to, that this is what's critical in my life and my critical for my church and to be all in. I'm asking you to do that. And you'll, you'll, you'll hear that in each week as it goes by as we walk through this together. Now, as I said, not a perfect plan, but it does help us answer why we do church the way that we do it. And what's expected of each of each one of us as we're part of the church. Now, some of you might say, hey, I'm not a member of the church. I never signed the card. I never took the secret handshake. Again, there's no secret handshake, but I never did any of that. Please know, if you're a follower of Jesus, and this is your church home, we're telling you this is, this is how we think the church ought to be operating and the part that you play. Now, let me explain why all of this is so important, and you'll see it because it, it unfolds together. Two weeks ago, I made a statement. I said this. I said that if we could interview all of us, if I could take all of us aside, interview each person, and ask you the question, what's the purpose of the church, my contention is we'd all get it right. I mean, you may you have different words, but you'd come up with the, right, the same three. You know, you'd, you'd get it, you, you might say it differently, but eventually you'd say, well, we're here to worship God, exactly, exalt him. We're here to encourage and, uh, and, and edify one another. That's exactly right, edification. We're here to tell the story, evangelization. We would get it right. But let me take, let's go a step further. If I announce this, this coming week that we're going to cancel church next Sunday, Please know, I didn't say we're canceling church next Sunday. Some of you who tune in and out, you just said, oh, church is canceled next Sunday? No, I did not say that. I said, if we were to cancel church next Sunday, and I were to send all of you out on mission, gave everybody a clipboard, and you're going to go out to all the churches in the area, pick a church, a Bible-teaching, believing church, go to all the churches, and stand in front of the door, and as people are coming to church, you're going to simply say, hey, we're doing a quick survey. Could you tell me what the purpose of the church is? I would contend that most people would get it right. 
I would contend to you that most church people would do the same exact thing as I said before. They won't have the same words, but if you give them some time to process, they're kind of come up with, yeah, worship God, yep, and edify one another, God, tell the story. They're going to get it right. But here's the question that we have to be asking ourselves here along the way. If all of the Christians know the purpose of the church, then why is the church in the United States in a steady state of decline? If it's true, and I believe that it is, that most believers, most followers of Christ can give to us the purpose of the church, how is it that the church in North America, in the U.S., is in a steady state of decline with multiple churches closing more and more of them closing? Now, some of you will say, well, it's because they're not preaching the word anymore. Well, maybe that's true in some cases as well, but I think there might even be a different answer, and that is this, because the, knowing the purpose of the church has never been enough. A bunch of people knowing the purpose of the church is not enough for the church to be sustained, if you will, in its area of ministry going forward. You see, the church needs a plan of action, needs a strategy. A plan of action as to who's to do what, how we're going to get it done, how we're going to get there, how do we move forward. Let's talk about a purpose statement. So I can say to you, what's the purpose of the church? And you can come up with a purpose statement, and then we all go, okay, we got it. But then what? <clears throat> then, how, then what? How do we live? And how do we live together if we call this church our home? How do we get on the same page so that together we move forward in the same way? <clears throat> Let's talk about purpose for just a moment. Purpose statements are important for any organization, without question. Um, of course, you'll smile a little bit when I say this. How many of you remember Sears? Yeah, of course, we remember it. How many of you actually remember shopping at Sears Roebuck and Company? When we got married, you didn't go anywhere else to buy appliances, but to Sears Roebuck and buy Kenmore. That's where you went. If you're gonna buy tools, you went to Sears and you bought Craftsman tools. You bought your appliances, your major stuff, and while you're there, you bought your clothes. I mean, every community had a Sears, and it was kind of the center point of shopping. Everybody went to Sears. In the 70s, 80s, Sears lost its way. They got in a whole bunch of other stuff. They got into insurance, they got into car rental stuff, they got into new credit card offerings, they got into travel services, all sorts of stuff. And in the early 80s, mid-80s, I should say, um, the CEO, the current CEO of Sears comes along and he says, you know what, we've lost our way. We're losing the retail because we're so wrapped up in other things. So he made a statement that said, we're going to sit down and we're going to define our purpose and then we're going to change the company. And he did that. And he took all of the other things they were doing and spun them all off. Budget rental car was a Sears deal that was all Sears. Insurance, all sorts of things were all Sears. He got rid of them all, spun them all off into separate entities and said, we're back to retail because that's what we do, that's what we do best. So that began a wave where everyone's saying, you know, this whole purpose thing, that's really important, that's really good. So companies were doing purpose statements and churches got involved. Essex Line Church got involved. I was like, man, that's a good idea. We should have a, we should define our purpose. So for an entire year, we went through having a purpose statement. Elders worked on it. Other people in the church worked on it together. We can have a couple of church meetings back and forth to define our purpose statement as a church. After a year plus of work, we had a document that we all agreed to. It was about a page, a little, a little over a page and a half, a document defining the purpose of Estes Lines Church. We agreed, we voted all fair, yay. Man, it felt good. <clears throat> a year later... If you ask someone in the church, hey, what's the purpose statement of Essex Lions Church? They would kind of go, well, I got this here. I think it starts with four score and seven years ago. No, that's not it. Uh, maybe it's we hold these truths to be, no, that's not it either. But, you know, and they would start saying, you know, I think we're supposed to worship God. And they go, okay. So we literally threw it out. It was too long. After a year and a half, we tossed it out and said, we got to have a purpose statement that just sticks and it's easy. Here you go. You ready? Purpose statement of Essex Lions Church. Make disciples, make more disciples, make better disciples. Isn't that genius? It sticks. Everybody gets it. I mean, already anyone here can leave and go, hey, I know the purpose of church. Make disciples, make more disciples, make better disciples. I'll update it a little bit for you. The updated version. Help people become followers of Jesus. Help more people become followers of Jesus. And help people become better followers of Jesus. It means our job is to go out and tell the story and make followers of Jesus. 
Our job is to keep telling the story, have more followers of Jesus. But on top of that, our job is to take a person who says they're following Jesus and help them grow up in their faith of following Jesus into mature believers. It's so straightforward. It's so easy. We get it. And so the question then comes is, okay, there's the purpose. Yeah, make disciples, make followers, make more followers, make better followers. And it, the next question was, oh, well, how, how are we going to do that? Now, it's important that you just heard what I said. How are we going to do that? Because some of you were thinking already, yeah, pastor, how are you going to do that? That was in some of your minds. How are you going to do that? But I also want you to know that when I said, how are we going to do that? I didn't say, how are you going to do that? Because we are the church. Just so you know, the responsibilities that are yours as a believer in this church are the same responsibilities that are mine as a believer in this church. The pastor is not immune and not excused for living out the mission of the church. So it really does come down to how are we going to carry this out? Um, that's so key along the way that it's a we, that it's us together that do this. You know, here's what it means as we walk through this together. It means that as we stop and look at mission, we don't see it as us, them, him, he's the leader, and then there's us. We see this as together. How do we take this forward in the context of the church, and how do we grow the church? Now, this is very important that we all understand the part that we play. So as a starting place here this morning, it's going to be a little different because I'm actually going to walk you through this kind of like what I, what my teachings in the membership class. Then I'm going to end with a verse and, a, and a, uh, help you with that orange card that you, you, you received when you came in and explain it a little bit differently than what you might think that card means. So it's important for us to know our, our roles that we play. It's one of the things that we need to talk about is responsibility. So let me explain this first. You'll see how it unfolds. To keep things really simple, as we talk about responsibilities in the church, we've got two groups. We've got us as individuals. What am I as a follower of Jesus? What am I responsible for in the church? What are you responsible for in the church as an individual? And then we have this entity called the church. You say, well, who is the church? Yeah, I'm not really sure who that is. It's just, it's the church. Whenever you say that the church is doing something, it's the church. If you ever say, well, the church should be doing something, it's the church. Who is that? Well, it's kind of all of us together with leaders, but you have two entities. You have individuals and you have the church. Let me define very quickly for you, because this is important, each of our responsibilities. First of all, what's the responsibility that every one of us has as a follower of Christ? Here it is. Here it is a statement. It is the responsibility of each follower of Jesus for their personal and spiritual growth in Christ, for the leading of others to be followers of Christ, and to use their gifts in serving the church body. So the first piece is us as individuals. What's our job? What's our responsibility? My responsibility is for me to grow in Christ. Now, just don't get too nervous yet. You're saying, well, where's the church fit? That's coming next. But right now, that's my responsibility. Here's what it means, friends. It means that I don't get to go to heaven one day. I don't get to stand before God and have God say to me, Scott, you never grew up. Spiritually, you really dropped the ball. I don't get to say, you know, it wasn't my fault, really. It was my church. My church really dropped the ball on me. It was the, the pastor. You know, if you had the pastor I had, you'd understand Jesus, right? It's, I can't do that. I don't get the freedom to be able to say, not my fault, it is me. I am responsible for my walk with God. I'm responsible to be in God's word. I'm responsible to be growing along the way. Uh, admittedly, admittedly, it's every one of us likes to, do, to deflect responsibility to other places. But it means I don't get to do that. I can't blame a church or a pastor or a teacher or whoever else. It's like, no, this is my responsibility. It wasn't about I couldn't find a good Bible study group or a good class. No, I'm responsible for my spiritual growth. It's my mission to be telling the story of Jesus. No one else is mine. It's my responsibility to take my gifts and my talents and to use them in the church. It's not my responsibility to sit down, sit by and watch other people do it. It's my job, my responsibility to jump in and serve. So no blaming of the church or the pastor or whatever. A side note for you, I was in a pastor's conference this past spring, and I sat at a table with some pastors. I made a passing statement, and it so struck me this moment. We were sitting there, and we had to answer the question, you know, what's, a, what's one profound thing in your ministry that you've done or accomplished or seen that, that was life-changing for you? So, and you have two minutes to come up with that answer. It's like, you know, okay, two minutes. But I was in my group, and I, I said my thing. I said, I'll tell you what was life-changing for me. And many, many years ago, 
is when I and our elders sat down and talked about who's responsible for what. And just now you need to hear this. This is no blaming here. This is just transparent. I sat there and I said, because for years I felt like I was, everyone held me responsible for their spiritual walk. And I carried that. I'd have people come talk to me, you don't preach deep enough, you don't do this enough, you don't preach this style enough. And I would take that to heart. And I said, you need to know one of the most freeing things, I had some other pastor help me through this, when we sat down and said, you know what? It's, it's an individual's responsibility to grow in Christ. The persons. No one stands before God and says, oh, I didn't have enough resources. It was me, it's me. And I said, and then to be able to say, then here's the church's responsibility. This guy's writing this note down. We get all done with our little segment around the round table. And this guy's been in ministry his whole life as well. And he looks and he says, you know what? This is one of the most profound moments in my life of freedom where I just realized I'm not responsible for everybody's walk with God. And it hit me that he's been carrying that burden. Now, I get it because I carry the burden. You need to know every Sunday I carry the burden. If I'm going to stand up here and preach God's truth, I better get it right. I have an obligation before God to get this right. So I, I take that burden very, very seriously. But there's something freeing when we know our responsibilities. So it's your responsibility, as it is mine, for my personal walk and growth with Christ, growing in his word, telling the story, all those things. But then what's the church's responsibility? Here's, here's a statement. Uh, the the uh, statement of responsibility for the church. Here's how it reads. It is the responsibility of the church to provide the tools, the helps, and resources to individual followers of Jesus to enable them to fulfill their personal responsibility. Further, it's the responsibility of the church to provide the opportunities and the services for worship, for engagement, and growth that the larger combined body of Christ is better able to provide with its combined resources and its combined talents. Now, to me, that just makes sense, right? Individually, I'm in charge of my growth. Church responsibility, support me. Offer the, the tools and the, the events, the kind of things that help me along the way. This just makes sense. See, churches don't walk alongside of workmates every day. You walk alongside of workmates every day. So the church, the church as such isn't telling the story. It's us who tells the story. A church doesn't have quiet time every day. Believers have quiet times every day. And that makes sense. In the same breath, an individual doesn't have the resources to provide for a gathering of hundreds of people to get together and worship. But the church has those combined resources. So it begins to make sense to me, and it gets into, into clearer focus where you realize we all have parts to play in this. But now it gets even more focused and more clear as we go back to our steps. Let me remind you of number one, of step number one. Real quickly, first week, a follower of Jesus Christ who calls Essex Alliance home builds friendships of integrity with the people around him. We talked about friendships of integrity. You love people because they matter to God. You love people because God loves people. You like people because God likes people. Admittedly, some of you have some work to do in the liking people realm because some of us just don't like people. But let's just be honest here. There are certain days I don't even like me. How can I possibly like you? So, okay, we'll excuse those days. But in general... We should be loving people because God loves them. That's integrity. Whether they never respond to spiritual things, whether they never care about spiritual things, never come to church, it doesn't matter. We become friends with them and we love them because they matter to God and they matter to us. Now, as we do that, as we, as we have those relationships with people, we know along the way that something will happen. And we know that something, and it kind of goes like this. In step number two, it's, it's, it says that the friendships of integrity builds the bridge for a verbal witness to be shared at the appropriate time. When I have multiple friendships of integrity, here's what I know. Sooner or later, someone is going to say to you, if you're a follower of Jesus, someone's going to say to you something along the way that says, so what's your deal? What's your story? Someone, if we have these multiple friendships, someone's going to go through a difficult time and they're going to look at you and you have to, you, you never talked about church, maybe perhaps you never talked about God, but somehow they'll know and they'll say something like, you know, I'm going through a difficult time. Uh, would you say a prayer for me? Now just notice how I said that. They don't usually say, will you pray for me? They say, will you say a prayer for me? I mean, I've been, people ask me this my whole life. Would you say a prayer for me? Kind of like, hey, you got this connection with God. I don't have a connection, guys. So when you're talking to the big guy, would you just toss one in for me? They ask it all the time. 
So what we know then is if we have these friendships, if we have these relationships, it's only a matter of time until we have that moment to say something. And when they say, would you say a prayer for me, that's not the time for you to say, do you know that God has a wonderful plan for your life? Nope. That's the time where you say, yeah, I would pray for you. I would absolutely say pray for you. And it might be a time where you can say something like this, as I have said to people, I say, you know, I, I, I don't know all the details of what you're going through, but I want you to, besides saying a prayer for you, I'd be happy to help you if there's some way I can help you. And um, there's no holier than now th- th- thing in me. I know I'm imperfect, but I know God's made a radical difference in my life. And if, if I can be of help or a conversation about God ever helps, I'm in. That's it. There's anybody here who can't say that. And this is where we left off last time. And when you say something like that, even, even as simple as that is, what's the typical reaction from people? Thank you. Thank you very much. I wish I hadn't asked. By the way, take the prayer thing back. I don't need your prayer. I think I'll be fine by myself. Because it gets them nervous. People talking about God and what that might mean. Friends, most of the time, 99.9% of the time, when you say something like that, the response will be a wall. I can count on one hand. In fact, I can count on two fingers the two times in my life in situations where I have had a moment to offer that verbal witness, you know, something about God, and someone has said, point blank, tell me more, twice. I use this one as, as the story that I often tell because it's the most prolific story where as an idiot, I almost missed it. I was flying from the East Coast to the West Coast. I was on a plane. I flew from here to Philadelphia, Philadelphia to California. I get in the plane in Philadelphia. I have a number of sermons to, 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 to preach. I'm going out there to preach at a conference. I've got a number of sermons to prepare. All of them are ready to go but one, and I got a four-hour flight. I said, perfect. I'll get finished up on that flight. We get in. We settle in. We take off. As soon as we're up, I put my tray table down. I get my Bible out. This is before I had my Bible on my cell phone. I got my Bible out in front of me. I got a notepad in front of me. I'm jotting notes. I got a, a couple sitting next to me. The guy looks and says, hey, you reading the Bible? Very astute observation. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah. He goes, yeah, I don't get that. Like, the Bible. I mean, why believe it? Uh, where's it come from? Whatever. So part of me is going, I, 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 I'm working here. But sure, I'll I'll answer your question for you. So I give him my answer about the Bible. Now, let me just say real quickly, I have a a rehearsed answer about the Bible. Please don't take that negatively. Christians would do well if you would think through the questions that people might ask you and you actually think through your answer ahead of time. As opposed to sitting there going, well, I don't know. You kind of go, oh, so I have my pitch. And so I talk about the Bible. Say, hey, listen, uh, one time in my life, I read every religious thing I ever, you know, teachings of all the religious leaders I could, blah, blah. And I ended up with the Bible saying, it works. I mean, it makes sense. It answers how we got here, blah, blah, blah. And, and the part that usually gets them is I say, and so I, it answers how we got here, where we're going, how to live, and that's the how to live part. So what happened is I found myself saying, if I'm gonna believe the Bible, then it really is practical, then I'm gonna live my life accordingly. And I think when people read the Bible, you go, I'm gonna live the way the Bible says. See, that usually is the part where everybody goes, oh, okay, you don't want that. Because let's be honest, let's be honest here, the impression the evangelical church world gives to the world is that if to live by the Bible is like the curse of death. We've missed, we talk about that, we've missed the good news piece about the Bible. So I give that pitch and usually it shuts them right down. Not intentionally, I mean, that's just what I talk about living your life. Usually, and he goes like this, he goes, oh, really? I, I would love to know more about what that means. And by the way, what's it mean to be a Christian? Are you kidding me? Do you not know that I have one more sermon to prepare and I've only got four hours in which to do this thing? And so God in a moment spoke to me and said, I think he may even use these words, you are an idiot. And so I closed my notepad and slid my Bible over and I said, so when you think about God, what do you think about? Let's start there. Tell me what's your picture of God. And instead of me preparing my final sermon I had to preach, I had three hours of talking to this guy about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But I have to tell you, that doesn't happen. Typically, the door is closed. So what do we do then? 
when we get the standoff approach. Here's step number three. Step number three comes to your rescue. It says this, at their timing, meaning the people that you're befriending, the people you're talking to, at their timing, the friend is brought to an event or a church service that's designed with both them and you in mind. There they will find an event or a service that is relevant, practical, contemporary, and done with excellence, allowing them all the time they need to decide what to do with Jesus. See, the church takes its responsibility in, in, in stride that says part of our job is to give to you opportunities to give you events, to give you church services where you could invite and bring someone. Do you realize that still to this day in the United States and in our area, one of the first entrance points for many people will be to walk into a church? They still think that's the place to go find God. Now, we know we can find God other places, but that's still the pathway. So one of our jobs then is to make opportunities for you so that they can find their way to a place of learning about spiritual things and they can do that without fear. So listen, when people say to you, when you give your little verbal pitch and they go, thanks anyway, instead of feeling like, oh, it's done, it's not done, it's just part of the process. In fact, if you put yourself in their place, that's exactly what we do. And maybe many of us did. Thank you very much. And stood back and then watched. It's not done. And this is where this next, pro- this next step comes in. You see, when that happens, nothing changes. The friendship doesn't change. You're still friends. But now you have something else to offer. You have an event or something to ask them. Say, hey, you ought to come with me to a food truck event. You ought to come with me to a corner. You have something to offer to them or a service in which to offer to them where they can come at their time. And let's talk about some key words in this step. It says, the church provides with you events or services that are relevant, practical, contemporary, and done with excellence. Let's talk about practical and relevant to start. First of all, question is this. How long do you stick, how long do you stick with anything in your life which is not practical or relevant to your life? How long do you stick with it? Answer is, not long. Right? Not long. Only if you have to. Only if your job requires you do you stick with it. But if your job does not require you, you're out. of you, 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 know, you, you want better things in life than to spend wasted, wasting your time on things that aren't practical or relevant to your life. Listen, friends, very, very carefully to these next couple statements. If the Bible is relevant for today and we believe that it is, and if we believe that God is relevant for today and we believe that he is, then everything we do in our lives as believers should reflect the relevance of God and the relevance of his word. If we believe God's word is relevant for today, if we believe that God is relevant for today, then when you walk into a service, everything we do, every song that we sing, every sermon that I preach, everything should reflect and point to the fact that if you believe in God, you've got something relevant in your life. If you will live by God's word, you have relevance on how to live and how to get through today and tomorrow. Everything we do should point to the place that in unsure times, you have the Bible, you have God, you are safe. That doesn't mean safe from pain. It means you have answers to what is headed and how to walk through them. It's relevant for today. I grew up in a church, and for many, far too many years, church would get done, we would go home feeling as if we had done our time. Done our time. That's a statement you make when you get out of prison. (laughs) And there are so many times where the thought was, well, we did our time. What does that mean? We fulfilled our obligation. Even, maybe even worse than that, there were multiple times where you would sit back and think to what you heard on Sunday and you would think, how does that apply Monday? How does that work on Tuesday, Thursday and Friday and Saturday? How does that work with the people that I work with? How does this apply? How do I use this in such a way? How does it grow me up? How does it grow me up in Christ? How does it make me better in what I have to do in the kingdom of God? Now, you do realize that according to a national survey that's done every year, that we live in the least religious state in the country. Vermont is the least religious state in the country. In the country. That's, that's confirmed over and over again. In fact, side note for you, out of the uh, six New England states, all six of them are in the top ten. You know that? All six states are in the top 10 of the released religious states. Now, on top of all that, we live in Chittenden County here, our church in Chittenden County. Chittenden County is the least religious county in the least religious state. 
You know what that means, right? We are number one. That's what that means. <laughs> that means we are number one right here. That's what it means. It means this, friends. Make sure you understand this. Just because we live in the least religious state does not mean that the people that we live with don't care about spiritual things. They care very much about spiritual things. You see, what we've come to learn is this. The people that live all around us are not nearly anti-God as much as they are anti-church because the church has just not seemed to be relevant and to get what the world needs. They are not anti-Christ as much as they become anti-Christian because quite honestly, the Christians that they see portrayed in the news and on television aren't always portraying the body of Christ well. But make no mistake, they care about spiritual things. And the way that you have a conversation with people on spiritual things goes back to step number one, friendships of integrity. People, we live in one of the greatest places in our country to live out the story of the love of God. We've got people all around us that care deeply about spiritual things. They just need to know that God's word is relevant and is applied to their lives. And so we endeavor, I'll tell you right now as a pastor, I endeavor to speak and to preach and to teach in as practical and as relevant of ways that I can. For you who are followers of Jesus, for those of you who might be visiting here that are not yet a follower of Jesus. Tim Keller, Tim Keller, one of my favorite writers, pastors, preachers, speakers, uh, recently passed away. He was the pastor in, in uh, New York City. Um, uh, just a brilliant mind. He made this statement. I was at a conference where he was speaking to pastors and he said this, if until you preach and teach as if the non-church world is listening, they will never listen. But if on Sunday morning you preach and teach as if your neighbor who cares nothing about spiritual things is sitting in the room, they will be in the room. You'll find them there. See, the typical Christian thinks like this. Well, this is our gathering, so we'll speak to us. And if the, if the non-church world comes, well, then we'll switch over and speak to them. Tim Keller says this. If you don't speak as if they're already there, they will never be there. But if you speak and talk and preach as if your non-church friend is listening in and seated in the room, they will be there. And they will be drawn there because there's this deep desire for that which is spiritual. And so that's what we do. We endeavor to speak and preach and teach in the most practical and relevant ways and make sure you get this. We're talking about the word of God. Friends, this church is based on the word of God. Everything we do is based on the word of God. Next week, we're gonna talk about how we grow believers up. We're gonna talk about small groups. We're gonna talk about uh, classes and teaching. It's based on the word of God. If it's not the word of God, then nothing else matters. You're just biding time and just spinning your wheels for a bunch of show stuff. Not that. It's all about the Word of God. And so that's what it's based upon. But let's talk about a couple things. Let's talk about this word contemporary real quickly. Contemporary. It says that they're going to be invited to an event or a service that's contemporary. Contemporary is a tough word. It really is. Um, I looked it up because quite honestly, what does it mean? And so I sat there this week going, you know what? I use the word all the time. I should look it up. So I looked it up. Not helpful. I looked it up, and one of the guys wrote this. He says, the word contemporary is one of the most confusing words. And he said, because it depends who you ask and who you talk to, they'll tell you what contemporary is or what it isn't. And I thought, that's true. That's true. Contemporary means multiple different things to multiple people. Though I have a definition, contemporary means living or existing at the same time. So we're all contemporary because we're all living together at the same time. But man, we can be worlds apart, right? Uh, in other words, says that this, it says life mar a life marked by characteristics of the same period of time. Same thing. You can all be in the same period of time and not have it look contemporary. My mom and dad uh, grew up in, uh, in New York State, in central New York, southern tier area, Binghamton, Endicott, New York. And we went to a church, and we went through the years of that church changing. Uh, you know, good and bad things at different times, depending how they felt about it. But then they retired, they went to Florida, and they couldn't find a home church. Now, I should qualify the fact that my mom and dad, and I've shared this with you before, my mom and dad would come to our church when they'd be visiting, but when they would come to this church, they would never make this their church home. They'd never make this their church home. They like it because we're here, and they like it because I'm preaching. 
But everything else, no. I mean, I mean everything. One music, music's too loud. Not enough hymns. And I mean, just uh, they'd go on. They would not. This would not be their place. They'd call home. Uh, one year, Diane and I had decided that neither one of our parents had ever been in a larger gathering of Easter, a real celebration. So we had this one year, we had this thought, let's fly in my parents and let's fly in her parents. So we flew them in to be here for Easter. Uh, I picked them up at the airport that night. Diane was at a rehearsal getting ready for Easter. The thought was, I'll bring them with me and we'll go see Diane rehearsing. And so we walk in, all of our worship teams on stage, they're singing, their hearts out, band is playing and rehearsal. And I walk in the back and I'm just moved. You know, it's Easter, my family's here. I'm watching our team just pour their hearts out to God. And I walk in, I'm just like, oh man, it doesn't get any better than this. And I look up and there's Diane on stage going... And I'm, I'm going, what, 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 what did I do? You know that look? It's like, what, and I, what, what is she looking at? And then I turn around and look. Here's my mom, my dad, her mom, her dad, and there they stand behind me, all of them like this. <laughs> and immediately, immediately, they hadn't been here for one hour, and I'm looking at them thinking, oh, Lord, what did I do? What was I thinking that I'd bring them all together for one great celebration? And already I'm going, put your hands down. And they're going, what? I can't hear you. I know you can't hear me. Put your hands down. Well, they turn the music down, we can hear you. Oh, it's going to be a great weekend, I can tell already. <laughs> this would not be their church home. And for that's one reason, but another reason would be the way I look, even though they love me. And for years, for Christmas, every single Christmas, my dad bought me a white shirt. Every single Christmas, a white shirt and oftentimes a tie to go with it. A tie that neither, none of us would wear, but a white shirt. Why? Because pastor's supposed to wear a white shirt. i never forget the Sunday that I said to him, Dad, don't get me more white shirts. I'm wearing blue shirts now. You're wearing what? And then one day I wore a black shirt. Holy smokes, I clothed myself in darkness. <laughs> and he didn't know what to do with me clothing myself in darkness. And he couldn't hardly even look at me. And this, oh dear. <laughs> that was their perspective. They moved to Florida. They couldn't find a church for quite some time. They go to different churches. And then my mom says, we found a church. We love it. It's the perfect church. I said, yay for you. I said, go get involved. Go participate. the same thing. I said, just because you retired doesn't mean you quit serving church. You know, okay, no, we're serving. We love it. So we went down for the visit the first time. We went to church with them. Diane and I sat there in the church. And we, I just went... This is my church 50 years ago, caught in time. It's a snapshot. It's the exact same. It's the same look. It's the same feel. It's the same clothes. The, the music director, they have a music director. He gets up, he's in a three-piece suit. And I'm not knocking that, but in a three-piece suit. And he leads with waving his hand. He, he goes like this. Everyone stand and sing together. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of heaven divine. And he'd stand up and we'd sing. And I'm singing my heart out because that's what I grew up with. And I mean, right, I'm like, oh, man, this is fantastic. But I'm looking around, and we just drove past all sorts of parks and recreation areas full of people that don't look like anything like the people inside the church. And I realized that they did exactly what I do and what you do. And that is, we love the church the way it was when we first found it. But the problem is, if you want the church the way it was when you first found it, and you want to keep it the way it was when you first found it, man, there's not hope for new generations coming along. And so we do that. That's what we do. So when contemporary doesn't mean we figure out, you know, uh, what's contemporary to you, whatever. We stop and we say, how do we keep what we do here? How do we take the gospel and package it in the way that's contemporary to the culture in which we're in? Not change it. How do we present it? What also says here, done with excellence, and, and, and um, please hear this carefully. When we talk about doing things with excellence, we're not talking about doing things with perfection. Why do we pursue excellence? Pretty simple. This is kingdom work. We are representing Jesus Christ. So if we're representing Jesus Christ, whether it's a woman's event, a men's event, whether it's a small group, whether it's a church service, whether it's a cornrows, where do you get off doing something for Jesus with the attitude that says, well, it's just the church? No, it's not just the church. This is the kingdom. We're doing this for the king. So we pursue excellence. Not perfection, but we pursue excellence. We're representing Jesus Christ and whether the group of people who will be there will be 20 people or 2,000 people, we seek to do so in such a way that it's done with excellence. Numbers, numbers of years ago, I had a fellow come into my office, sit down and say, I just want you to know that me and my, my wife are leaving. 
And it was very cordial. I said, I'm sorry to hear that. What's going on? He said, the church has become, here's the word, the church has become too perfect for us. And I went, what does that mean? He goes, you start on time. For some of you, that doesn't affect any of you. Uh, I, I just want you to know we do have a start time. It doesn't seem to affect many of you. But we start on time. You have a clock. You have a you know, telephone start. The music is all perfectly in place. You know, you, you get up right on stage. The lights dim. He went through all these things that look like perfection. And I kind of laughed. And I said, you know, you really don't know us. Because you don't know me. Perfection is not my middle name. I don't have perfect in me. Apparently, he wasn't there one Christmas. Some of you might remember this, but it's quite a while. Diane and I did a lot of duets together. We would sing together. We were in musicals and things, and Christmas was coming. I, I, think, I think this was like a Christmas Eve was on Sunday and Christmas Day on, on Monday. So it was a full house on, Christmas, on, on, this, on this Sunday service, whatever it was. And Diane and I, when we were driving together, were singing all the time. And we had this Christmas song that we would sing together, Silent Night. But it was two different songs blended together, and we would sing it. We'd sang this song, we sang this song hundreds of times in the car. And it's based on Silent Night. And she would sing Silent Night. Silent Night, Holy Night. And I had a second song that I sang on top of that that went like this. Neath the silent stars, a town is sleeping. Flocks are safe within. I mean, it was just gorgeous. We, and we said, hey, let's surprise everybody. Let's do it. So right before I preach, the lights are dim, place is packed, she comes out, microphone in hand, we're standing right here, and there's no tape track, there's no music, it's all acapella, standing right here, and we look at each other, because you got to start together, go, here we go, ready? And we start, whoa, she was so off key, I don't know what she was thinking. <laughs> Truth of it is, we don't know exactly who was off key, but we were off key, and it was horrible horrible. I mean, so bad. I mean, even some of you who kind of nod in and out, you know, you barely pay attention, but you hear something, you pick up, what did you miss? Everybody picked up because they weren't missing anything. It was just hurtful. I can see you, and so we know what to do. <laughs> Am I back? I was just about to say something about my wife that maybe I shouldn't say. You just saw a lesson on not being perfect. Well, we got up, and we got up, and we, we stopped. In the middle of it, we had to stop and say to everybody, I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened there. Let's do this again. So we start a second time. Worse than the first time. And you need to know there's nowhere to go. Just like right now, there's nowhere for me to go. So all I could do is shout to the guy in the back, hoping you look at him instead of me. So here we are, and we stop a second time. And so I go, hey, just give us one second. So we both turn our backs to the audience so we can kind of talk. And of course, with our backs, I'm going to her, what are you doing? And she's going, what am I doing? What are you doing? I'm going, listen. We got one more shot at this. We got to get this right. And we turn back around and go, okay, we're going to do this one more time. You know how we couples do that, you know? And we get up and we start the third time, horrible. To the place where we finally go, you know what? We're just going to stop. She went off. I, and I'm sitting here and one guy finally says to me, he says, what are you going to do next? I don't have any idea. No idea. Now, here's the point. That was not Perfection. And anyone who saw that knows that that was not a case of us not working at it, not a case of us not practicing, not a case of us being kind of, you know, oblivious to the important moment, not a case of us taking a haphazard approach. It was just something that happened and things happen. But we already had that couched in the context of we strive to do it well. Now, why do we strive to do it well? There's two reasons. Number one, whether it's a small group or a big group, we strive to do, do, do it well for two reasons. First reason because it's for the kingdom of God. I'm tired of Christians. I'm tired of churches that have the attitude, well, it's just the church. 
If you have the attitude, it's just us church people, then you really have missed the idea of the kingdom of God and working for the king. So we do it as best we can, number one, for the king. Second, just hear this now, when it comes to doing something with excellence, we actually do it for you who consider this your church home. Because you see, here's what happens. You're going to invite folks to come to an event or come to church, and you never know when they're going to come, right? In fact, oftentimes, you might put an invitation out there for years, and they don't come, they don't come, all of a sudden, one day they pop up. And what we know is that if we have a history of not excellence, we have a history of haphazard, and finally your day comes, and your, and your friend shows up, if we do bad, if we just do haphazard, here's the, here's the impact. It's not on them. You know, their attitude is, yeah, that's what I expected from a church. The impact's on you because you go, oh, I don't th- I'm so embarrassed. I don't want to bring someone back to that again. See, we see excellence because the bottom line is when you finally have someone that says, yes, they want to come, you want it to go well. I've shared this before about every, probably every five to six weeks, maybe every two months, it happens just like that. Some one of you will catch me in the hall before Sunday and say, oh, Scott, I'm glad I caught you. My coworker is here. My boss is here. They've never come. I've invited them. Please be good today. <laughs> and if you've ever said that to me, you know my answer. Because I've given the same answer for years. Oh, I feel so bad. I was so good last week. <laughs> and next week, I'm planning to be exceptional. But this week, ah, not so much. Now, I'm not offended by that. Why? In fact, it moves me to tears because it tells me that you get it. And what you get is this. I've been living out the story of Jesus. And somebody I care about has come. And I don't want them turned off by bad stuff. I, I don't want them to be thrown off. I don't, want, I don't want a hurdle to be just, you know, things we've done haphazardly. Scott, I want you to be good because I want them to come back. And I want them to know the Jesus I know. And please know I feel the same way. Don't forget, it's we. I had someone I invited for church for years, didn't come, didn't come, just, you know, but we're still friends. I got up to preach one Sunday, three sheets, one, two, three, right there. I looked up and she was sitting right there. And immediately I was like, oh, Scott, be good. <laughs> but it actually went a little differently for me. I looked at her and I thought, oh, I didn't know she was going to be here. I'm thinking, what am I preaching today? Will it, will it help her? Hurt her? What's it going to, you know? So now as I'm sitting here doing my more, you know, pre-sermon talk stuff, I'm thinking through, what am I preaching? What am I, I, want to, I got to make sure I, I phrase it in the right context. And again, I have one of these moments I've had many times with God where God simply says, Scott, I knew that she'd be here before you knew that she'd be here. Why don't you get up and preach the word of God that you had planned and I'll take care of the rest. And I had a confidence that already what she'd experienced with something that was done pretty well. Now, you notice in that statement, it says this. So we do that. We offer events and services done with a contemporary, relevant way, practical, excellence, all those kind of things. And we do that giving the person time to decide what they're going to do with Jesus. It's a pretty big question, don't you think? What are you going to do with Jesus? And think about this, if there's some, and some of you are there right now, some of you have been there, but if you've been living your whole life living by your agenda, by your plan, where it only matters what you think and not what God thinks, if all of a sudden you're going to begin to think about, well, if there's a God, what does that mean for my life? Don't you think that's a pretty big question to get answered? And I get a little nervous for someone who makes an answer, who makes a decision immediately. It should take some time. When you're going to switch your agenda from yours to God's, for many people, there's a process of time that it takes to work through that process. Now, why do we do all of this? Matthew chapter 9, verse 17. Here's a passage, then I close. Matthew 9, verse 17. Why do, we, why do we work at all of this doing a church? I gotta be honest with you. It'd be easier just to get up and say, hey, it's all church people. Just preach the word of God and not think about anyone who's listening in. That'd be easier. But listen what it says. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old wineskins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. You go, what does that mean? It means that the gospel is unchanging, It's the same word of God that we've always had, but the gospel is also alive and it's vibrant. 
and it's growing like the new wine and the wine, it's bubbling and it's, it's creating new growth. And you don't package the, this message, this dynamic message in an old wrapper. If you, the new culture is there, you wrap it in the, in the cultural language, but it's the same unchanging gospel. Some of you kind of get worried about, oh, you're watering down the gospel. No, watering down the gospel. But presenting the gospel to new generations that will grab a hold of it and have it take life. You see, the era of the Billy Graham era, which I grew up in, there was an era, we've talked about this even a couple, just a week ago, there was an era where we were all kind of the country on the same page. We all had the same moral compass, we all believed in God, we all had a Bible, we didn't use it, but at least we believed in the Bible and we believed in God. And so to make the story of Jesus and to preach the story of Jesus, all someone has to do is say, well, you know, Jesus fits nicely into my whole moral compass already. Sure, I'll follow Jesus. In the era of Billy Graham, who had profound impact, I still watch him late nights when you can watch the, the crusades on, uh, and, and watch him across the country, across the world. Moving to me what he, he accomplished. But you need to know there was an era where you only had to make one decision to follow Jesus. You know, I took care of the God piece, the Bible piece, the moral piece. I just got to say, yep, Jesus fits into my plan. Not today. Today in our world, there's so many miniature decisions that have to be made along the way. First of all, well, do I even recognize the Bible? I mean, a person's got to make a decision. What do they do with the Bible? Then they've got to make a decision. Do they even think that there is a God and is a God relevant? Then they're making a decision about you. Are you relevant? They're going to say, do, you know, I want, do I want to be like you? There's all these little decisions along the way that have to be made first. There's a different era. So we give them time to get to that place to decide what are they going to do with Jesus. So you give, let's wrap up. So you give your verbal witness. And when you get all done, they go, oh, thank you. And you go, oh, now what? Get your little orange card out. Because this card actually has more meaning than you think. This little orange card, if you got it and said, oh, here's some upcoming church events. Hey, great, I'll put them on my calendar. If that's what you think, you're wrong. You're wrong. This is not a little nice publication for all the church people to make sure you come to the event. In fact, that's why we're showing events all the way to December because there's actually a plan here. The plan here is to say, these are just some of the things that at any given time, you could invite a coworker, a friend, a family, a neighbor to say, hey, come with me to this. My church does it. Uh, Vivo. Hey, you want to do a couple a little hour, hour of exercise with me? You can jump in. It says July 6th, but that means it's ongoing. It's a, when, it was, when it was printed, it was printed for that day. It's ongoing. You can do it anytime. You got to come with me. What do they do there? We exercise. Okay, let's do it. Look at a uh, food, uh, food truck. If you think that we have a food truck fest here just so that you can all go eat, that's wrong. We do the food fest for two reasons. One, it allows the community to come to our campus. So people go, where's that Southern Church? Oh, I've been there. They have a food truck out there. Second piece, it's for every one of us who's got friendships of integrity to go, hey, you got to go to the food truck. We'll, we'll eat together. I'll, I'll buy you dinner. Won't be great dinner, but I'll buy you dinner. Um... August 1st, middle school. You know families that have middle school or high school students? We got a Six Flags for us. Hey, hey, your kids, your kids, you would like Six Flags? I'll introduce you to somebody. See, all of these are here as, as tools in your hand to be using them in living out the missions. August 6th, we have King's Brass coming. Some of you know the King's Brass. King's Brass, a full, I mean, full band of brass, and they're going to fill this place with sound. Some of you go, ah, and then that's that for me. Others of you would say, oh, I got friends that would love the King's Brass. I'm going to bring them to that. Back to school block party. Opportunity to go to a neighbor and say, hey, listen, we're gathering pencils and stuff for kids that need them in Burlington. You want to be in with me? And they'll do it. Corn roast, you see that. Look at down in the end of October 2029. A journey to the potter's house. You might recall one time we had a potter here, Michael Ferris. He had a potter's wheel right here. He actually did pottery while he gave a story. Countless numbers of you gave us feedback that said, man, that was powerful. He was good. We're bringing him back to do that. In fact, you see two dates because we're having a Saturday night service that night. A Saturday night service to give you one more tool to be able to say to friends, hey, Saturday night you got to come. It's going to be a regular church service, but he's the guy right here we will be doing that presentation. But then look what, December 3rd, it says the potter returns. Is he doing that twice? Nope. He's got a follow-up to that one that is a talk all about hurt in life. And what do you do when you've been hurt? 
friends, that, what, a, what a great one too. Somebody comes to the potter's, the potter's wheel piece and then later goes, yeah, I wouldn't mind hearing that guy talk about what to do with hurts in life. And then, of course, we have Christmas Eve services. If you see this card as just a nice thing on the refrigerator so you remember what to bring the kids to, you've missed it. This card has got, is sequential that we're talking about this strategy and you've got a food truck coming up. You got a corn roast coming up. After the corn roast, you got the potter coming up. After the potter, you have them coming back doing a follow. This is meant to say, hey, I got tools in my hand. Now, here's the deal. Here's how we close. Um, for some of you that don't fully understand the idea or strategy, or even struggling, because it may not look like a church you grew up in and may not look like the church you're comfortable with, and I get all of that. As I said before, it's not a perfect plan. And it's not the only plan, and I get that. But for some that are struggling, I would say this to you. Everything changes. Everything changes when you see the church and see a service through the eyes of someone who's been unchurched. When you see it through the eyes of someone who's walking in for the very first time. Closing story. My mom, as I said, my mom and dad love, love me, love, love our family. Um, you know, they put up with the church. And it just it gets everything else for me to preach. My dad had passed away. My mom sat right back there. And she was here one Sunday, and uh, she was sitting next to a young woman. I didn't, I didn't recognize the woman. I just happened to see her sitting next to my mom. At one point, so I'm talking to her. Uh, I mean, you know, I didn't, that was no big deal. My mom's a gracious person, not, you know, not vicious. She'd be fine. And um, after the service is over, I'm down here talking, and my mom runs to the front. And it's kind of like, you know, Scott, 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 you got to come talk to me. You got to come with me. Come with me. It's kind of like Lassie. Lassie, what's going on, girl? You know, and where's... <laughs> Yes, is t- Timmy, Timmy in trouble? You know, it's kind of like, so I finally excuse myself. I said to the person, I'm so sorry, but something's going on here. So I go with my mom, and she takes me back to talk to this young woman. And she goes, this is my son. He's the pastor. And this is the woman. So immediately I kind of smile. I say, well, to this woman, I say, please forgive the crazy lady you're sitting by. We really love her. She's called mom. She goes, oh, she's fine. What happened was this, this woman, young woman, first time she's ever been in a church. First time ever. She's driving by the front, and she says, I don't even know why I drove in here, except for, I just felt like I was supposed to. She said, I walked in, and I sat back there. My mom had to sit by her, and during the song, during the music, she starts to cry. My mom doesn't know any better. My mom thinks she's just a church person. My mom just says, hey, sweetheart, are you okay? And gives her tissues and says, hey, want me to pray with you or anything? Just all the stuff you would normally do. And then the woman says, "Um, I don't know what to say. I've never been to church before in my life. My first time. I don't even know why I'm crying. And here's my mom saying, Scott, you got to talk to her. She doesn't even know why she's crying. She doesn't even know why she's crying. (laughs) You know, it's okay. Hear me out. Final statement. My mother's view of church changed radically from that day forward. You know why? Listen, because in all the years that my mom attended church, she never sat next to someone who had never been in church before. And for the first time in her life, she was looking through the eyes of somebody who said, "Ah, this is too good to be true. We grew up in the church. We knew all the things we wanted or didn't want or should have had and the hymn that should have been sung, all that. For the first time, she sat next to somebody who was just overwhelmed by the presence of God. Radically changed my mom. Radically. Never again did she question anything about us. In fact, when we came, got together, when she'd call me every week, guess what she wanted to know? How's that young woman? I was happy to say, Mom, I had the privilege of leading that young woman to Jesus. And I had the privilege of leading her fiance to Jesus. And I married them. And they moved, but they are now following Jesus. In part, because you sat by her. And you asked her if she was okay. If any of you are suspicious or not getting it, live the mission. And when you sit by someone that you've invited for the first time and they look at you and say, wow, feel something you know you're going to go yeah that's the spirit of God you feel it will change you stand please let's pray Lord Jesus please keep us on mission 
We're going to talk next week about the fact that it's not just about bringing people here and not just about finding our seat. It's about growing in Christ. We're going to talk about that next. And so you got, you got to help us realize that, it's, that there's multiple steps. And one of those steps is not just how we live our lives for others, but it's how we grow. But in all this, I pray that you'll be rising, raising up people that would say, okay, if that's a strategic plan at the church, if that's what you're asking of me, this is the place I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of that plan. I want to be a part of that mission. No, I want it to be my mission. And we're all in together. As we look at this card, I hope it goes home on top of refrigerator, on refrigerator doors and those things, but I hope it's not just as a reminder for the church folks. I pray it's a reminder for us to be living intentionally. Dismiss us today in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.